Doc, you can ground me if I'm crazy, right? Oh, sure, I have to. I have to ground anyone who's crazy. Then ground me. I'm crazy. You're not crazy. Why not? Catch-22. As soon as you ask to get out of combat duty, you're no longer crazy, and so you have to fly more missions. That's some catch, that Catch-22. It's the best there is. Catch-22, written over 60 years ago, but wow, now seems like a really prescient time to remake it. You know, we've got fake news ruling the headlines, we've got massive distrust of authority. Is there a deeper reason to remake this now other than just a great satire to get on the screen? Well, it is uh, obviously an insane time. There's an absurd time. And it's not just in, I mean, it's absurd, obviously, with things going on in England right now. It's certainly absurd in my country. It's glass houses. I can't throw stones. But it's all over the world. You go to Italy, you go to uh, Brazil, you go to the Philippines, you, Orban, and, you know, in Hungary. It's sort of all over the world. We're doing, we're sort of doing these weird backslides. And uh, uh, I think it's always good when you see uh, this kind of satire to remind ourselves that these things are temporary and they are cyclical, you know. It struck me when I watched the first show that we're kind of seeing lots of older white men in charge, many of whom don't seem to know quite what they're doing. <laughs> and there seems to be quite a strong parallel, if you don't mind me saying, with yeah. US politics right now. Oh, you, th you think so? <laughs> just, just a little feeling I have. Yeah. We have a 74-year-old <laughs> president who, yeah, right. uh, who wishes we were still in the 1950s. Uh, which was good if you were a white guy. Uh, yeah, there's some pretty, there are some interesting, I think part of the idea of uh, Catch-22 and part of the, the idea of talking about this is that old white men are making decisions that young people are going to die up before. And I think that that is something that we should argue about endlessly. Mm. You know? Right. Well, and Heller was remarking on it then when he yeah. wrote it in the 60s. And so the fact that even that still is going on today is very apropos for what the story is about. They, it's this constant wall, 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 wall of bureaucracy or, or whatever it is. And, and you know, so in, in itself, it's kind of it's, it, it, it's showing how relevant it is. It's also fighting against the system, which is an interesting thing. We still, you know, uh, part of the, the reason that you feel these waves of populism uh, coming up is because there's a huge swaths of people that feel like they are fighting against a system that they can't possibly win. And certainly Usarian has that quality. It really does. I mean, it explains it beautifully, obviously, with the famous catch, Catch-22, which is beautifully simple, but also so complicated. And it really does kind of, I mean, it's come into our everyday speech, hasn't it? And it was Joseph Heller that made this up. It was originally Catch-18, and then Leon Uris wrote a book that had 18 in it, and then he tried to make it Catch-11, uh, and Ocean's 11 came out, and right. then he wanted to make it Catch-17 and Stalag-17. It was like he kept going through it, so he came on Catch-22, isn't right. it? But people Funny. don't realize it's just a made-up yeah. thing with the Heller. But, you know, the, the phrase, even if you haven't read the book, has kind of been in the zeitgeist for such a long time that people either assume it's like a real army, yeah. uh, you know, code for something or whatever, but it's not. <laughs> you know. And obviously a, a real key theme is the absurdity of war. Now, George, obviously your wife, Amal, is a human rights lawyer. She mm -hmm. sees this at the dark end firsthand. Mm -hmm. Is this also a bit your way of, of highlighting this and, and bringing it to people's attention? Well, I've been doing that in my real life for years. And, you, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Darfur and South Sudan and the Congo. And, you know, it, certainly uh, I grew up during the uh, anti-Vietnam War uh, protest movements and stuff. So I've, I've always believed that 
uh, it is, as a citizen, uh, your right and oftentimes your responsibility to question your government. Um, that's sort of what Yossarian does through this whole thing is question his government. You know, he, it's not the, he's not worried about the Germans trying to kill him. He's worried about the people who want him to go fight the Germans. And I, I, I always think that that's, you know, it, you're always walking a very thin line because you don't want it to feel unpatriotic. You just want it to feel like he's, a, he's an artful dodger who has a, a logic to him. Yeah. And a lot of that weights on your shoulders as the lead yeah. guy to portray all this. And in such a kind of laid back way, because, you know, he's a he's a laid back fella, but he's a thinker, isn't he? He's 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 across this. He, he sees what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's kind of an existentialist, you know, through and through. And um, he's just kind of asked. He's just kind of looking back and asking why a lot. You know, why do we need to do this? And. And, you know, I find uh, for himself a lot of his answers are pretty justified, and I get it. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting element. Even for a just war, there is some absurdist, something absurd happened um, before to, ca ca to cause that war. Um, and and so, so for us, it always was sort of the argument of, of you know, the absurdity of war is always a, a key to this. That crazy <laughs> human need to kill each other for some reason. It's just ongoing, isn't it? Generation after well, generation. If you think about the reason that, in general, you bring in 18-year-old kids to fight the wars because they don't question authority. He's a, a little bit older and has a little more experience. If you're a 30-year-old uh, and they're saying, okay, let's go bayonets only out of the foxhole, a 30-year-old says, well, there's going to be a McDonald's here in 10 yeah, years, right. whoever wins. Right. Yeah, exactly. you know, so there is a little bit of, uh, uh, of that, too. You have to, it requires some innocence. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about nudity. There's quite a lot of nudity in the first step, mm -hmm. which isn't unusual for TV. But a lot of it is male, which is unusual. Um, and a lot of it falls upon you again, Chris, to, yeah. to do this. Tell me, how is it to be exposed in this way? That burden, or non-burden, <laughs> really, because there's not much to carry. Yeah, you were, you were carrying much. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but look, I mean, it couldn't for me with this story. It couldn't be more justified. You know, it's it's uh, it's very important to the character. It's very important to what happens um, to the character in in this book, in this in this show. And um, yeah, it's not you know for me there is gratuitous nudity. There's uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but there is some. But it's male also. Yes, shower um, scene. Yeah, we have, a, we have yeah. all boys in the shower scene. But. Uh, but for for that for this part of it for you, Sarah, and it's 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 very um, justified. justified to who he is and what he's fighting for. For mm. sure, it's been twenty years, George, since we've had you back on the small screen. Mm. How is it? How has it been back on TV? Well, it's funny. People said that I've been working in television for years. You know, producing or directing, writing television, but. I guess I haven't been on camera in a while, and uh, it was fine. I didn't think of it that way. I just thought of it as a place where we could tell this story because you, know, you can't tell this in a, in a – it's hard to tell this in a feature. You actually need six episodes, six hours to, to go through all these characters. So I didn't really think about it much. I don't care about the medium. I just like to work. You know? It's always a funny idea, too, that, like, you know, like, it's like the idea of being back on TV is like this like, quaint little town next, next to the big city. Right, like, right. Yeah, it's like, it's, oh, it's nice here. I well, do miss it. And also there's a funny <laughs> – thing that that you know actors have which is there's just a pecking order that's crazy you know film actors you know look down on television actors who look down on commercial and you know and, and then theater, theater actors, actors look down on the film actors yeah. and it's a, 
and even even when you're in L.A., you'll have guys who've lived in L.A. for 30 years who are from New York, but they're like, I'm really a New York actor. You yeah, know? right. I'm not really in L.A. <laughs> yeah. So there's all these weird pecking orders. Yeah. You know? I love this. Stare for pilot season for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> this is reminding me of a Monty Python sketch that I don't know if you guys have ever seen about class. If not, you yeah, must yeah, Google yeah. it. It's very yes. similar. It sounds very, very similar. similar. Yeah. <laughs> um, Obviously, in those 20 years, you've won two Oscars, George. Mm. You've had two babies. Yes. What advice would George now give to newbie ER George looking back? Oh, I wouldn't. You know, I, I, I couldn't give myself advice because I, I, I sort of everything I do is I just sort of go in the direction that, you know, my life and the world is taking me. I didn't expect to have uh, uh, children and a wife at this point in my life, and then Amal walked in, so everything changed for me in a considerably, in a beautiful and unexpected way. Um, I've always been a hard worker and believed in that, and you know, I, uh, all I know is that I, I have plenty of things I wish I'd done differently. But it, if it all ends up where I end up, then I suppose it was necessary. You know, definitely. You guys were on Vanity Fair front cover the other day. We were. Um, how does that were feel? Obviously, it's kind of like... I wasn't. You, you were. were. No, you, you were. You were yeah. fully naked. <laughs> yes, you didn't I didn't know. see it. No, we just put you there, naked. God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Superimposed on. This yeah, is yeah. fake news. Fake news. Yeah, it's, a, it's a scratch and sniff thing, though. It's, it's really embarrassing. Really. <laughs> I'm intrigued, though, for you guys as actors. Obviously, George, you've been on the front of stuff for a long time. You're now starting to be on the front of stuff, and I think you're going to be propelled to massive fame. It's about exactly. time. There's a big poster behind me. damn time he actually put that poster up behind you so he could stare at himself <laughs> yeah while he does this yeah yeah that wasn't a, i brought that from that was in my room yeah <laughs> above the bed yeah right <laughs> do you ever get used to that seeing your face blown up big like that or is it just a part of the job as an actor it's kind of you guys are like uh well i don't know i kind of feel as a part because you know i've i'm friends with actors too so i've seen them have this kind of thing so it all kind of eventually all just feels like a strange little dream anyway you don't quite you i bet know. it was fun though to see your face sort of wrapped around subway cars in new york well it's yeah i mean cool. i live in new york so that is i've got pictures uh sent to me from friends that saw it but uh, i haven't been in new york now for uh, for a while so i haven't actually seen it in person and it might be gone by the time i do get back to new york but uh <laughs> i have it i have it in pictures you yeah. need to get a friend to take a, a that's, snap. They did. Yeah, no, no, they Instagram did. They sent it right? to me. That's what I mean. That, that's what I've seen. Yeah, I don't have Instagram, so I haven't seen it on that. I don't have anything, which is good. But, uh, yeah, they just sent it to me directly. So that was nice. Finally, George, is it right that you nearly became a broadcast journalist? I love this. Obviously, as a journalist, that makes well, me very excited. my father was a newsman for, an, an anchorman for 40 years. And before that, he also had a talk show. And I studied... Uh, I studied broadcast journalism, and I thought probably I would follow in my father's footsteps. I only lacked skill. <laughs> that <laughs> doesn't that, stop a lot of people. <laughs> no, it hasn't. I, as we've <laughs> yeah. seen before, there are quite a few out there. It hasn't stopped at all. But uh, but I, I had a great interest in that. And then, uh, and then my cousin came to Kentucky, where I was at the time cutting tobacco for a living, and uh, did a movie, a horse racing movie, and then said, you ought to... You know, and I spent some time with him. He said, you got to come to California be an actor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah, yeah. Does, does that mean we might see a George Clooney talk show in the future? I really don't think there's a good idea. Well, leave it up to you. I would like to see your talk show. Oh, thank you very much, George. I'll do my best. Okay. It's lovely to your meet you guys. Your well, though, George. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It doesn't make a difference who wins the war to someone who's dead. It's all a numbers game. And when your number's up, your number's up. 
This is war. Hello. War concentrates power in the hands of those most likely to abuse it. Well, that was the agreement we had. 500 goats. War is not about profit, son. Absolutely, sir, not only. <laughs> I've flown more missions than anybody on this base, and every time I get close, they raise it on me. Hussein's <laughs> had his balls blown off. I want to see.